Welcome to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Counting down movies, music, TV, and pop culture. One top five at a time. And now, here are the two peas. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. I'm so thrilled that you are joining us again this week. This is Gerald here with you, of course. And as always, I have to bring in a guest P on the pod, a co-host to help me discuss the topics at hand, the top five lists for this week. And it's so exciting for me because every once in a while, there's a guest that comes on the show that I'm just like, this can't possibly be the first time that this person's been on the show because we've just interacted for literally years. I've yeah. listened to his voice in my headphones. I can't even tell you how many times. <laughs> We've collaborated online in other facets, but we've never been on each other's show, and it's just crazy to me. But say hello to first-time guest and longtime podcaster, 10 years he just celebrated, JD from In Session Film. JD, what's up, man? Welcome to the show, finally. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, yes, it's my first time being here. Very mm -hmm. excited to be here, have listened to the show God knows how many times. And like you noted, we, we've collaborated before. So this is, it's very exciting, the two of us getting together to talk here. And then the topic that we're about to dive into is so quintessentially JD. My <laughs> top five is, it, it's essentially going to break down to it being the greatest hits of In Session film <laughs> from over the last 10 years. <laughs> so it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, we'll dive into the topic here in a second, and I do want to kind of pick your brain a little bit before we get into the list itself, because this is one that you were pretty passionate about, and you kind of yeah. jumped on right away when I showed you the options. You're like, I, please let me do that one, and here we are. Tell everyone real quick now, this is your first time on the show. Uh, regular Peas listeners hopefully know about In Session. but just tell them real quick what you guys do over there, and just a little bit about what you do on your show. Well, that's a really interesting question to ask this week because I know. it's changed <laughs> quite that's drastically right. from what it used to be. We were operating three different podcasts. Uh, we have our new Women in Session, uh, which has a panel of, of women critics, uh, which is very exciting. And then historically, we had two In Session film podcasts. There was the main flagship show with myself and Brendan Cassidy. And then we had our extra film podcast, which was hosted by Ryan uh, McQuaid and the great Jay Ledbetter, who are both, you know, very familiar with you and, and your show Absolutely, as well. Yep. And, uh, and so we operated, you know, once a week, extra film and the main show. And then every now and then the four of us would get together and collaborate. And it got to a point where... I, I wasn't able to keep up with all of the shenanigans happening at In Session Film. <laughs> and so we had to consolidate and it felt appropriate. As you noted, we just celebrated our 10th anniversary on January 30th, just a few days ago as we are recording this. Uh, and so we felt, you know, as we enter into this anniversary, you know, maybe we end the way we used to do things and, and we kind of enter into a new phase of in session film. And so that's what we've done. So Ryan and Jay and Brennan and myself have, uh, we've combined the main show and extra film as of this last week. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can not only listen to the four of us as we dive into all kinds of film conversation, uh, but we've now put the podcast on YouTube so you can watch us at uh, our In Session Film YouTube channel, which is very exciting. Uh, We have a new structure, a new format to the show uh, because the biggest criticism we've always received is that the shows are too long. And we knew that for the longest time, and we've done our best to try to get it, cut it down. And this new yeah. format will get us over that finish line. Okay. In fact, this last week, episode 519, the first show of the new format, it was the first show under two hours in like 250 episodes. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's been, been a while. So long. <laughs> been so long. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's very exciting. Uh, and then... Uh, among that, we'll have reviews uh, and and a bunch of other content coming out. So there's there's a lot happening right now. At its yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I hope guys check check you out, JD, because you guys are awesome Thank you. and yeah, appreciate just your, it. Just your dedication to film, movies, and you know, to your point, I mean, joking around about the length of the podcast, but it's like even if you weren't recording it and you're just sitting around yeah. the campfire or at the bar or whatever, and you're talking to your friends about something you're so passionate about. And you look down at your watch and you're like, oh, my God, it's been two, three, four hours. You don't even realize it if it's something that you're really into. And that comes across big time. So, And, and that's, that's ultimately why the, the shows have gone as long as they have, especially the reviews themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and it is exactly that where the passion and we're trying to be as thoughtful in the conversations as we can. You lose track of time, and the next thing you know, you're talking about inside Lewin Davis for an hour and fifteen minutes, and you're like, "Look, that wasn't played. We just it just comes out." Yeah, <laughs> so we had to do it. We had to do it. Exactly. Well, why exactly. don't why don't you tell everybody, JD? So you're here with me to do a top five list tonight, which, like I said, I'm so excited. You're finally making it over to the peas here. What is the topic? And then we'll kind of talk a little bit about our criteria for the topic. But what is the top five list tonight, man? So we're doing our top five child performances in film. And again, for any listeners of the Incession Film Podcast that's also listening to this, you'll know what that means to me (laughs) (laughs) and why by five, you know, this could end up being your first two hour show because I'll talk about my five forever. (laughs) I could at some point you're going to have to hit the, the buzzer to be like, okay. All right. let's, let's reel it. Let's reel this in. <laughs> All right. I'll try to police you a little bit, but I also want you to have fun. So yeah, yeah. You know, let's talk a little bit about that. So I had this to do list of about, I don't know, 20 or 30 topics. And I said, here you go, man. Like, if you can't think of anything, what do you want to pick from? And you kind of honed in on this one and it really stood out to you. So just to let everyone know too, a little asterisk up top, uh, when the actor or actress performed in the movie, they had to be 16 years or younger is what we decided. Yes. So no, no one over the age of 16 at the time of filming the production that we're going to mention them in. Now, now that we have that little kind of parameter out of the way, otherwise it's not, it's really kind of wide open. It just had to be a movie as opposed to like a television or whatever. So yeah, JD, why were you so passionate about this topic? And for those that may not have heard your passion for this genre, if you will, subgenre, childhood acting, whatever you want to call it. Over on in session, why was it such a big deal to do this topic for you? Okay, I'll try to articulate this without crying. <laughs> okay. So, uh, really, a lot of it for me is I, and I've talked about this so many times over the years. I think that childhood is the most special time of our lives. It's the most innocent. It's the most pure for a lot of us. 
Mm-hmm. Ultimately, at some point in all of our lives, that is broken. And I think there's something transcendent and profound about whatever that experience is. But when you're a kid, and if you have kids or nephews or nieces, you see this all the time when they indulge in that, that just pure innocence, uh, I, I just think is fascinating. And movies and child performances, I think, have captured that so magically over the years. I, you know, mm-hmm. I think I talked about this when the last time we got together, like Citizen Kane is my favorite film of all time because that is a movie about a man that at the end of his life, more than anything else, was yearning for his childhood. That's all he wanted. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. just wanted to go back to that time when he was eight years old and can, can go sledding down a hill and have the time of his life. And I think right. there is something inherently visceral about us as human beings that, that want that all the time. And I think even as adults, we, we do the same, whether it's playing with our kids or playing video games or whatever nostalgia or whatever that, that drives the joy in our lives. Not all of it, but much of it, I think, also kind of tethers back to our childhood in some way and, and the kind of joy that we experienced as, as a kid. So I'm very much drawn to that in movies. A lot of, like, if you look at my top 20 movies of all time, a lot of them tackle this idea in one way or another. And so mm-hmm. the performances that we're going to talk about tonight, I have championed heavily. <laughs> on our show for for quite some time so well one thing that kind of i was thinking about as i was coming up with my list and i don't like to give any titles away at the top i'm sure you know we'll wait till we get into it but mm-hmm. just generally speaking you know as an adult and you look at adult actors that you know some of which may be your favorite of all time or whatever they've had those experiences in their life they're able to tap into those different emotions and kind of relive you know, what they either have been through themselves or what they may have knowledge of. But when you're talking about teenagers or 10 year olds or on my list, a couple six year olds, like they don't have those experiences. They don't have that knowledge inherent within them. So they literally have to form this performance to make you believe what their character is going through. And I have young kids and my kids are great. <laughs> don't go, don't take that the wrong way. But like when I see some of these performances on screen from these young young folks, it's just really like it, it's, it's just so commendable and should be applauded almost more than whoever your favorite adult actor is, if that makes sense. Just because I feel I like agree. they really have to double down on what they're doing. I agree. No, it's quite phenomenal the depths and the uh, the the emotional nuance that many of these these child performers are able to capture without having that life experience as they're talking about however the director has helped them get there sure it is pretty phenomenal what they're able to to achieve at such a young age and and like i said i think even even as adults watching those performers and what they're tapping into i think is something that we can all relate with in some in some way. And, and in many cases, I think in some pretty deeply profound ways. For sure. All right. JD is here from In Session Film, a topic that I know he's excited to discuss. We're going to do our top five childhood movie performances, and it has to be anyone that was under the age of 16 when the movie was filmed. JD, you want to get us started, man? What is your number five and why? Okay. So my number five, also, let me emphasize how difficult this list was. 
Yeah, I need to tell them, by the way, you tried to sneak <laughs> like, in 20 tonight. He was <laughs> just 15 yeah. honorables. Yeah, and I, I said, joked, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I joked earlier that I had a top 20 that I was just going to lay out here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I very much could. So it was <laughs> it was challenging narrowing this list down. Uh, but ultimately, the five I, I have here I do love. So at number five for me, I'm going to the late, great River Phoenix. Stand By Me is the film from 1986. Mm-hmm. this film is is one of my favorite films of the 80s and a lot of it really circles down to the performances of this film and specifically what river phoenix brings to it regarding his character what he's experiencing here what he has experienced and how it drives a lot of the choices that he makes and the friends around him as well as they go on this little journey together Mm-hmm. And and then ultimately where it all ends is quite heartbreaking, I think, in, in many ways, especially when you look back at the life of River Phoenix in kind of a more meta sense. Uh, but I this is one of the more moving performances of not just child performances, but across the board performances, especially of its time. Uh, ju- uh, just an incredible film by Rob Reiner. And, um, it, it's, it's probably, it's, it's my favorite Rob Reiner film for sure. But mm-hmm. I'm also trying to think here on the spot. A few good men this, stand by me. Well, yeah, some good stuff, but I was mm-hmm. going to say this, this might be a top five eighties film for me. That that's how yeah, high I, I am on, on the movie. And a lot of it comes down to the camaraderie of these characters and, you know, the friendship at play, how all of that kind of fizzles and uh, and and really it's it's the performances that drive this i mean th- it is a really good screenplay but i think more than anything what, what i love about reiner's direction is he just points the camera mm-hmm. and he just lets these these children kind of tap into you know this this despondency that comes about and i love it absolutely love it so yeah river Phoenix, my number five I do too, man. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. Any regular listeners that are tuning in, they're like, well, we have crossover already because they know me. So I'll be talking <laughs> I'll be talking about this a little bit later. It's a little higher on my list, but I have the same actor, the same movie. You know, I'm not even joking. You probably could have picked any of those boys from this film and I would have it would have been yeah, a sure honestly. thing. And really as an ensemble, you know, what again, they're so young, they don't have these experiences that their characters are, are going through in the movie. And not only that, it's a period piece. It's taking place in the place in the fifties, so they just don't have a lot of knowledge about what's going on around them, and they just sold it so well. And you know, yeah, the friendship, the kinship, so many things about this movie. It's in my top twenty movies of all time across any genre. Yeah, I will be talking about yeah. it shortly, uh, but I let's just say I agree with your pick. So that's your number five. My number five is. The youngest actor in my top five, I do have a couple that are younger that I'll mention later in my honorable mentions, but he was 10 years old at the time this movie was, was made. And he's gone on to do other things. He's still prominent in pop culture, and he's done some really, really good stuff. But this is the movie that I feel like everybody knows him because of this role. Mm-hmm. And, he, and it was at 10 years old. He will never be able to escape it. And that's just fascinating to me. But it's Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone, from the oh, Home okay. Alone franchise. Yeah. I mean, just so memorable. I mean, it, yeah. it's one of the best holiday films 
Uh, we watch it every year in my house. Uh, it's a great kind of like cat and mouse chase movie as well. You know, and he's setting up all these elaborate plots for the, for the, you know, burglars. And he's just, he was so cute. And he was just like, you were just drawn to him. You rooted for him. You know, his family leaves him at home. And this is in the era before cell phones. So such a great premise back then. It came out in 1990. So it was a sweet spot before cell phones and technology, you know, wouldn't really make sense in today's world. And then the sequel was really good, too. You know, and he was still young in that as well. But I mean, Macaulay Culkin, you look at him now, anything he does, you know, it's like Home Alone. That's what you just think you just I, or at least me. Like, I just always think of him in this role. And anytime you have a feel good holiday classic, you know, it, it's just it's just it just feels good to watch it. You know, and yeah. I think his performance has a lot to do with it. So are you a fan of uh, Macaulay and Home Alone? I am. I, I really like the film a lot. It's a good honorable mention. It's not in my top 10. Mm-hmm, but again, if we're expanding, if we went 20, 10, then <laughs> yeah, no, it, and it's a really good classic performance. And, and what I really like about the first film, especially, although I, I think you get this in the second as well, is how playful it is through a lot of the film. And, and he taps into that playfulness very well, but there are moments of drama where the stakes become a little bit more real. And I think he taps into that extremely mm-hmm. well at the same time. So, um, and, and that could have been a little bit jarring if the performance wasn't able to ride that line, you know, because moments before, let's say when he's lifted up onto the wall by one of the antagonists there, like he's like throwing paint buckets at them. And, you know, he's, like he's doing a lot of just goofy stuff that's really fun to watch. Right. And then in a moment, the the the, the tone of the film changes drastically. The stakes, the stakes are raised for sure. The yeah. stakes are raised. And I think he gives credence to how a child in that moment would react. And and it's really great. So and then there's, you know, even a, t- a little a little tinge of uh pathos at the end of the film when his family comes back and they're all celebrating Christmas sure. under one roof. You know, that's that's done with some great subtlety. So, yeah, it, it's a very, and, you know, when the family, the family aspects were done really well, too, I thought, you know, because yeah. mm-hmm. because, you know, it was kind of like a love hate thing in the first half of the movie or before yeah. they leave town, I should say, you know, he was mm-hmm. the misbehaved child and they were just sending him to his room and it was a lot of yelling and we kind of forget what really is important. And then he goes through this experience and when they come back. And he sees his mom for the first time. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, every year I watch this, I cry mm-hmm. with, that, with that scene. Yeah. And I, and I can tell you, my wife does <laughs> as a mom, uh, you sure. know, <laughs> seeing her little yeah. boy again and not knowing if she was going to and not knowing if he was okay. And um, so, yeah, it does have a lot of emotion built into it, too, which it's a slapstick kind of comedy at, at kind of like, but underneath the surface, they have kind of the extra stuff going on. So uh, that's my. That's my number five. Uh, we're over to you. You had River Phoenix at your five. What's your number four? All right. So for my number four, I'm going to the world of Andre Tarkovsky. I'm going to the film Ivan's Childhood, Nikolay Burilev. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Forgive me if I'm not. Uh, that is my number four pick here. Uh, for anyone that hasn't seen Ivan's Childhood, it's I have not. not an easy watch, but... I think it's my favorite Tarkovsky. I mean, there's so many great Tarkovsky films. It's almost futile to compare them. 
Uh, and Ivan's childhood might be his most accessible narratively and dramatically. It, it's perhaps his most seamless or less abstract. Maybe that's the best way to articulate it. But it may be ironic to say accessible because I don't, I don't know how accessible it really is. I haven't is. seen it. it. Is, I have, I've a, heard of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's, it's a depressing experience, but one that I think gets into the ramifications of war and a really great way as the film explores how war robs children of their innocence. I, I mentioned a moment ago when talking about why I'm so drawn to this topic. And, and I do think there is something heartbreaking about a child who is able to indulge innocently in their childhood and then how that is ripped away from them suddenly. There are two films on my list that dive into that specifically. This is one of them, and it's fascinating to see how Tarkovsky does that here with the Ivan character um, mm -hmm. because he doesn't have any parents. Um, we learn through flashback and some storytelling that, you know, he, he's on his own and he eventually joins this Russian unit who find him as he's roaming the woods, essentially. And then these soldiers, there's one captain in specifically that becomes a surrogate father of sorts. And there's conversations about adopting him even, but of course it's Tarkovsky. So without getting into any spoilers, doesn't have a Hollywood ending. <laughs> I guess I'll just say it like that. And, uh, but, you know, but it gets into not just the cost of war, the ramifications that come about. Uh, it does that in a very Tarkovsky way, but again, specifically emphasizing the cost of humanity and Ivan and, and his childhood specifically. And Nikolay Berlev, for being, I don't know, eight or nine years old in his performance here, it is quite astounding how he's able to, to render the level of sorrow that we see in that character. It is quite visceral, uh, but really great. And uh, again, not an easy watch, but my, my number four here. What's the year on it again? Do you know? Ivan's childhood. That is a good question. And I didn't know, I if, you, I don't know if you mentioned the answer it. for you. It is 1962. Okay. So, see, okay. So, an oldie. All right. Yeah. That's one I'll have to check out for sure. I have not seen that one, but you sold it. I need to check it out. I love a good, mm. kind of like torturous child performance, too, which is <laughs> kind of what it sounds like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there are moments of, I don't want to say levity, but where the tension isn't quite as thick. Uh, before things, you know, topple on on themselves. But okay. yeah, I mean, if you like Tarkovsky, it's a recommendation. But broadly All speaking, right. it it's not something you just you know you hand out flyers to like come see this movie. But yeah, great performance. Yeah, it sounds great, man. My number four is another one that my regular listeners are going to be like, oh god, <laughs> this thing, this thing again. Uh, Chris <laughs> Annie's over in the chat on YouTube right now. I can't wait to see what he says, but. It's going to be Chloe Grace Moretz, but not maybe not from the film that you think. I'm going to name Let Me In here, which oh, is the okay. remake of Let the Right yeah. One In. Yeah. Uh, the great kind of vampire love story slash coming of age tale mm -hmm. and directed by Matt Reeves, who, of course, has gone on to do, you know, the Batman this year and so many great things as, yeah. as a filmmaker. But we kind of started to see that kind of dark and brooding style of filmmaking with movies like Let Me In. 
And Cody Smith McPhee is is kind of her opposite here, and they that are you know scene partner here, and they have this beautiful friendship and kind of eerie. Uh, it's like you you know something's kind of off, but and you kind of are worried for both of them. But it's a very like there's a lot of just carnal, just almost like winter snow, blood in the snow, like. It's shot in a way that you are scared, but you're also like, man, this is so beautiful. And I love this movie. You know, the swimming pool scene is, I mean, I know this is a remake, but it's one of my favorite scenes in all of horror in the last, you know, 15, mm-hmm. 20 years. Uh, just so great. And just the level of tension that's built up. And, you know, it deals with bullying in a very interesting way. It deals with, you know, who we let in to our lives in a very interesting way. You know, it has that kind of double entendre dealing with letting in the vampire of course you have to invite them in but it also deals with letting people into your life and uh, you know who you share things with and i think it's a beautiful story it is bleak in terms of like there's not really a lot of quote-unquote hope in this movie uh for some of these characters richard jenkins one of the great character actors of all time in my opinion puts in just a stellar out of this world performance in this movie as her handler uh, as Abby's handler, but yeah, Chloe Grace Moretz and her beautiful performance at only the age of 13. And she also played hit girl the same year with Nicholas cage. Wild, which, <laughs> which is one that I was maybe going to name, but I just yeah. talked about that movie on a previous episode. So I was like, I'm going to yeah. do let me in. I love her. I think she is such a talent. She's just very magnetic and everything she's in. You can tell she's like top tier in terms of the craft of acting. So uh, yeah, she's one of my favorite actresses, and I wanted to name it. I can't believe she was only 13 when those two movies came out, uh, talking about Kick-Ass and Let Me In. But that's my number four. What do you think about her and this film? So I love this film. It's one of my favorites of 2011. Is that when it came out? 2010. 2010. 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this film, and I don't know if this is going to get me in trouble, but I think it's better than the Swedish version. Uh, okay, I, all right. And I try, I love them both. Don't get me wrong. I think they're both very good. But there is something about Reeves's direction here, the atmosphere of it. A lot of it, I think, is also Michael Giacchino's score, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these two performers and how they drive that connection between the two. Chloe Grace is great, but Cody Smith-McPhee is also quite gr- terrific. You could throw yep. him on as an honorable mm-hmm. mention, not just for this film, but really a couple different films. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they're they're both absolutely incredible. Richard Jenkins is great, as you noted as well. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this film. It's it's one of my favorite Matt Reeves uh, films as well. And honestly, when they announced that he was doing the uh, the Planet of the Apes movies, I kept thinking about this one as to why I was always confident about what he would do with those films. And then he didn't disappoint with either of those either. Um, but yeah, for me, a lot of it circles back to his work here and I I think it's quite underrated. I don't, I don't know if people talk about this film as much as they should. And these performers, these, these I agree. I agree. I think, um, I think it's tough when you have a remake, but kind of like what you said, I mean, it's on par for me with the original. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to come out on my show and say it's better than the original, but I wouldn't argue with anybody saying that. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. both so, so good for really for different reasons. I mean, the cinematography is different. Mm-hmm. It has a different kind of like feel. I mean, the tone's the same. The story's essentially the same, but mm-hmm. it just, if you put them split screen next to each other, they don't really look the same. 
even though they're kind of yeah. telling the same story. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that well, has to do with the direction yeah. and the and the technical stuff involved. But yeah, you know, I, I've just always been such a big fan of hers, and I think it's funny that that I didn't name Hit Girl here because I can remember seeing that when it came out in 2010. Mm-hmm. Like I said, she was 13. And I can remember seeing that, not knowing who she was, you know, and just going, wow. Because I think my, let me think for a second. No, my daughter would have only been like nine or 10 years old at the time. But anyway, I remember thinking like, this young girl is acting against Nicolas Cage. And she's literally owning every scene like she's in. Yeah. Like she's dominating this movie. An absolute mm-hmm. scene stealer with literally no experience on the big screen. And I was just really yeah. taken with her and I've kind of followed her career, you know, for the last, uh, I guess yeah. it would be 13, 13 years or so. And I, I'm a big fan of hers. So, uh, and as a horror fan too, I really like this one. So, yeah, it's, it's very good. I do like the subtle melancholy of the film. There's something about the tenderness of the performers that, that I really like. And you noted it gets bleak in places, but man, I think they handle all of that with, with great diligence and, I don't know. There, there's something about that melancholy that that speaks to me. And and again, I like the sweetest version. It is very good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, gun to my head, I think I slightly prefer I get it. I get it. <laughs> the remake. I get you it. Know? I mean, it, it made my top five remakes. It also made my yeah. top five vampire movies when we did that mm-hmm. with our friend Brad from yeah, Cinema yeah, Guys. Yeah. Uh, it's been on a few lists of mine. It's one of my favorite remakes for sure. And uh, one of my favorite vampire films. So Chloe Grace Moretz from Let Me In is my number four. And I could cheat and say kick ass too, because I can't believe she did both of those the same year. But I know. Man, just two so, very just, different performances. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah. nailed both of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So good, man. So good at the age of 13. Yeah. All right. So we're up to you for your number three, JD. What do you got? All right. Number three for me. Again, listeners of our show, I'm going to mention this film and this name, and they're going to be like, oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is the 1959. Oh, wow. Francois Truffaut film, The 400 Blows. Uh, this is in my top 10 movies of all time. Their performance wow. is Jean-Pierre Lyon. Again, I'm probably butchering that name, but man, what a performance. Okay. Absolutely What's the premise here? I haven't seen this way. one. Tell me so, about it. This is about a young child in the 50s. And, and what's interesting to me about this film, so he's living his life with his parents, his parents seemingly are offering him enough, not just in terms of his physical needs, but emotionally they're, they're in his life. But as we see in the character, he begins lashing out and misbehaving and lying to his parents. And I think what's fascinating about this movie and what I am so so drawn to, especially as a parent myself, is that it becomes this incredibly rich and potent examination of not just the difficulties of childhood, and, and it certainly gets into that here a little bit, but also parenting. Because Antoine, the Leo character here, we see many scenes early on that Again, his parents are around. They're able to give him attention and love. The problem is there is a disparity between how the parents perceive that and how Antoine perceives that. The kind of love and the kind of attention that Antoine needs to be emotionally fulfilled, 
he is not getting from his parents. His parents are around, but they're they're doing they're, they're treating him in a way that pushes him away instead of brings him closer. And I th- I think there's this interesting truth that Trufal is getting at here, and and how we as as adults as a parents can sometimes be blind to those level of details like that kind of nuance it's one thing to to be around and to love the child that you the way you want to do it mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily what they need in their lives and if that isn't rectified the child will then go find that satisfaction in other things and that's okay. ultimately what antoine does here he fulfills that emotional void by lashing out and by lying and misbehaving and doing these things that on the surface seem reckless and maybe a little bit selfish and then the film suggests that maybe the parents are mostly at fault here or at least they're just as much at fault and ultimately by the end of the film and I do love that Truffaut doesn't answer as to he like he's not handing out blame He's not saying mm-hmm. it's Antoine's fault. It's not the parents' fault. It's somewhere in the middle. And I, I'm a big believer that most of life is somewhere in the middle. We live in this sure. gi- giant gray area a lot of the time. There mm-hmm. are certainly cases of exclu- exclusivity for sure. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but when it comes to parent and child relationships, I think at times, you know, you you can be blind to certain things that you know, the the certain perspectives in which we see the world. And and this film does gets to, gets to all of that in these really great ways that I love. And uh, Jean-Pierre Luad, the way there's, and there's something about the thematic underbelly of the film that I love, but also I could sit here and talk to you for another 40 minutes about the way he interacts with the camera here, I Mm -hmm. think is just absolutely fascinating. Like the way Truffaut frames and composes this film is truly breathtaking, and uh, Leo, man, he he is magnetic. He's he's okay. he knows that there's a camera there, and is engaging with it in this incredibly subtle way that I absolutely love. It's yeah, it's just great. I I love it. It's it's one of the best child performances. One of my favorite performances, really, of all time. Wow, nice. High praise. One thing I know for sure, JD, <laughs> is when I have these Inception film boys on, I have homework after. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, I had Jay Ledbetter on a couple weeks or a couple months ago, and uh-huh. I was we did um, ninety minutes or less movies. Oh yeah. This guy, yeah, 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 And this guy brought the heat with all these like old school like Charlie <laughs> Chaplin movies, and yeah. I was like, I haven't seen those. Oh, yeah. You know, so I have a list he gave me. I've already got two on my list tonight that you have given me. So. <laughs> I have not seen this one, but it's called The 400 Blows, right? The 400 Blows, yeah. It's, it's a French it. New Wave film, 1959. Right. Great stuff. I'll give it a go, man. I'll give it a go. I'll just have yeah. an in-session film week where I just watch all the movies that <laughs> my guests from in-session <laughs> recommended. Then we'll have to get together and talk about them all. Absolutely, man, yeah. So you already mentioned my number three, which would be River Phoenix from Stand By mm-hmm. Me. Okay. Nice. Per- portraying Chris Chambers, kind of the leader of the gang, if you will, of the young mm-hmm. kids. Coming of age film, obviously. You already mentioned Rob Reiner's direction. Definitely one of his best films, if not, if not his best. Yeah. Comes from, r- rooted in the Stephen King story, so I immediately am drawn to it as well. 
Stephen King has a knack, whether you're talking about the it book or whatever of mm-hmm. kind of writing in kids into these kind of disturbing might be the best word scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still have that childlike wonderment about them. And, uh, it's still innocent at its core, even though everything that's going on around them is anything but innocent. So mm-hmm. he has a r- great blend in the writing and it translated to film here. In my opinion, I've told the story on my podcast before. I don't know if you've heard it, but this was the movie that really made me like, I love movies. Mm-hmm. Like I was like that's 11 awesome. or 12 years old and yeah, my I buddy Michael had to sleep over my buddy Michael's house and he had the VHS tape. His parents did. And we literally watched this without, they wouldn't let him watch it because of the cursing and stuff. And it's rated R. So we watched it without his parents knowing all night long on a loop. We watched it like five or six times that night and we were like reenacting stuff. And like, you know, the next day we were like, you know, performing in his yard. Like we were characters from the movie and I was like 11 years old. Like, and I can just remember that was the first movie that I connected with where I was like looking for that in other movies going forward, like seeing myself in the different projects that I was connected to. So this movie holds a very special place to me. River Phoenix was 15 when the movie was shot, you know, uh, just such a tender, mature performance that you literally yeah. can't believe it's a 15 year old, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so memorable too. And, um, rest in peace. I mean, he was also on my gone too soon top five when we did that a while back. Uh, I imagine with this, I mean, I, you know, we don't know, but I mean, you look at actors like Brad Pitt, DiCaprio, I mean, you look at the, I mean, he could have easily been same tier or higher in terms of his career in movies. You know, I, I mean, the guy was just, there was no limit. There was no ceiling to what he could do. Um, yeah. and the projects that he did do, you could kind of see those hints of brilliant brilliance. And unfortunately, because his life was cut short, we didn't get to see the rest of it. But River Phoenix, we matched up there. That's my number three. So I agree with you, man. There you go. So I can't believe Joaquin named his son River. Why would they do that to me? Oh, that is so <laughs> good. So beautiful. I know. Oh, man. It's like, oh, here's my heart. Thanks, guys. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for oh, sure. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, great stuff. All right, so that's my number three. And like I said, we matched up there. And we are up to our runner-ups. You've got, I don't know. Have I heard of this one, J.D.? What do you got? You got a number two, man. Yeah, Let's do it. I mean, I think people know <laughs> this film. All right. The, <laughs> what's interesting is, and I'll be transparent, is I'm, I'm certainly having to fight off emotion uh, because listeners of our show know how much this film means to me. I'm going to the world of Ghibli here. I'm going okay. to an animated film, an animated performance. It is Iso Takahata's Grave of the Fireflies. Okay. And it is the performance by Ayano Shirashi. I've never known how to pronounce this name. But I think there's an argument to be made that this is the best vocal performance of all time in any animated film. And what's okay. crazy about that, this is the only performance she's ever given. Oh, wow. And it is so good. So good. The level of credence she gives to a four-year-old. This this four-year-old girl who, with her brother, is trapped under the conditions of World War II in Japan. And because of the devastation around them, you know, they, over the course of the film, start to deteriorate. And 
the way that she's able to continue to evoke the pure joy of a child, of a four-year-old who was completely oblivious to everything happening around her, mm-hmm. to me is unreal. It is incredible the pragmatism that she gives to this performance. I hear it and, you know, especially the first time I watched this, my son was about the same age mm-hmm. as uh, Setsuko here. And obviously different cultures, different languages, but that innocence, that pure joy that a four-year-old has, that is universal. Yep. It is incredibly universal. And I, I could see that, that, that pragmatism that I experience every single day with my son it is in this performance. Wow. Uh, this, this four-year-old performance uh, that, to me, it, like that alone is incredible. And especially when you couple it with the devastation around her and that juxtaposition is really jarring, but in a really great Ghibli-esque way. What's mm-hmm. really captivating to me, though, and maybe what is even more heartbreaking is that over the course of the film, and as these characters deteriorate further and further and further, she is able to still tap into that innocence while somehow the vocal performance matches the deterioration, if mm. that makes sense. Like you can, you can mm-hmm. feel like in the lines of dialogue and the size and, and just the subtle cues coming out of the character that there's something really wrong. Like the character is suffering, but the character still is embodying mm. not the death and carnage around her or that's happening to her, but you know, the, the yeah. innocence of a four-year-old. And, and right. to me, it is, it is mind blowing. I, I was, I'm still utterly shaken by this performance. The first time I watched it, I mean, I, I could like I would be walking around the neighborhood and I would just randomly start <laughs> weeping. Like it was, it was so it you. incredibly yeah. potent. And then we rewatched it uh, this last fall because we did a, a Ghibli series on the podcast, and similarly, just blew me away. I I can't believe how subtly layered this performance is from an actress that we've never heard of since. Yeah, that's crazy. One gunner. I didn't know. I didn't one know that gunner, fact. That's crazy. Four years old, but truly one of the most breathtaking vocal performances in any animated film ever. And because of its potency, for me, it's really high on my list. So I have it here at number two, and I made wow. it through that without crying. Although I almost lost it once. <laughs> <laughs> you did good, man. You did good. So I'm going to be covering the uh, Studio Ghibli films on my Patreon because I haven't uh, yeah. seen any of them. If you can oh, believe wow. it. So we're going to cover I, actually, all I'm, of them. I'm, I'm very excited for you to be perfectly honest and somewhat jealous because I would love to have the experience of seeing them for the first time again. Uh, yeah. They're just, they're so magical. It's they're yeah. one of a kind, a unique studio. So yeah, I'm very excited for you to, to go through. I'm looking, them I'm looking forward to checking it out and, mm-hmm. and you know, another one. And I think uh, I was joking earlier, but I think Jay had a studio Ghibli on his top five when we did that too, for, for 90 or minutes or less as well. I can't remember which one it was, but yeah. uh, my neighbor Makes Totoro sense. maybe. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say maybe Totoro. I'm trying to yeah, recall my, the runtime. I think but Totoro. Not, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 
So yeah, I, I got to, I'm going to get through all that catalog and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Drew Hallam, you know, is over in the chat. He says that Grave of the Fireflies is an excellent choice. Uh, he call, uh, he said Roger Ebert calls the film one of his favorite war movies. Yeah. Uh, even though, even though it's an animated film. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, you know, Iso Takahata has stated that he didn't set out to make a war film per se. <laughs> I, I mean, when you watch the film, I mean, you, it, it can't help itself but become an anti-war commentary. But the film really does a great job of not being about war is bad. It's, it really isn't about the war as much as it is these two kids trying to survive these harrowing circumstances. So, yeah, I, I mean, I understand where he's coming from there. But, yeah, it's, it's one of the best war films of all time, hands down. Well, there you go. That's your runner-up. So my number two is a, is an, a performance that floored me when I saw it. I think that it benefited, the, the child performance here benefited from the movie being such a kind of mindfuck, where it really kind of just caught the audience off guard across the board. It was kind of like pre-social media. It was The internet was around, but it wasn't like you could be spoiled at every time you click on a button. Mm-hmm. Haley Joel Osment from mm-hmm. The Sixth Sense. Yeah. M. Night Shyamalan, I just saw Knock at the Cabin last night, actually. Uh, I mean, he's a filmmaker that I might have the most respect for because this guy mm-hmm. will just, you know, on paper, there's such fascinating, whether it's science fiction or horror or whatever it is, there's such fascinating stories. And sometimes they don't translate to screen, and I, I'll admit that. But in the sixth sense, I mean... This is, in my opinion, a, a thrill in terms of a thriller, a masterpiece, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just so cr- crafted so perfectly. The in- leading up to that ending plot twist that Shyamalan kind of let kind of run his career for a while, yeah, wanting to kind of recreate that. But <laughs> yeah. nevertheless, if you look at this one project as just one thing, it was just crafted perfectly from a technical standpoint, screenplay. Bruce Willis, like the whole thing, but none of it would work without Haley Joel Osment's really centered, grounded, realistic, like I'm a kid in fear performance. I mean, I felt bad for this kid the whole movie. I was rooting for him from the very first frame, and I really felt like he was terrified. And if you were a kid, he was 11 when this was filmed. If you were 10 or 11 years old and you were seeing dead people, as he says, you would be fucking freaked out and you would be terrified and would not be able to sleep and your life would be miserable. And I feel like he really sold that in this movie. And like I said, without that performance, I don't think Shyamalan has a masterpiece on his hands here. But because of what Haley Joel Osment did, it's an unforgettable just one of the best movies possibly ever. Uh, I didn't look on the IMDb 250, but it might be AFI or whatever. I don't, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was in like the top 100 or top 250 movies ever. It's just such a zeitgeist pop culture phenomenon too. And everybody kind of knows of it or knows the twist or I see dead people. Everybody knows that, you know, even if you haven't seen the movie. So, so that's my number two, man. What do you think? Yeah, no, that's a great pick. Love uh, Haley Joel Osment. Really love that film as well. I mean, and not just Osment, but that entire cast is really quite fantastic. And and they're having to give tricky performances, right? Because the screenplay knows where this is headed, but they can't, you know, it can't, 
give out any clues as to mm-hmm. where it's going to go. So they have to ride that line of being believable in terms of the sleight of handout play. And and they they're all very good at that. And Haley Joel Osment is not he's not only able to tap into that, but the emotional underbelly of the film and how that comes about. He's he's so good in this film. I will admit though, in my in my true honorable mentions, I I have Haley Joel Osment, but for a different film for okay. Steven Spielberg's AI, which I mm-hmm. think is one of the most heartbreaking experiences I've had. And he's similarly like he he is the nucleus of that movie and it all right. falls apart without his performance. So yep. again, kind of writing a, a very tricky line in that film as well, but it speaks to just how good he was as a child actor. Yeah, truly, exactly. Truly a phenomenon. Yeah. Love it. I'm, you know, I'm, my son is nine. My, my oldest son is nine and I'm like, when can I show him six cents? Because I'm trying to, I don't want him to be spoiled and I want to kind of like see him find out, you know, the end. So I'm thinking uh-huh. like, I'm thinking like maybe 11, 12 years old, I'll let him go for it. But I'm hoping I can make it another few years without him being spoiled for the plot. Yeah, twist, but that's true. It is the world of the internet these days. <laughs> I, rem- I remember seeing that with my grandmother in 99 when it came out. I can remember seeing that in the theater with my grandma. We went to like a matinee and we were both just like, what? Yeah. Like we're just you just sit there like it's stunning. I mean, Shyamalan yeah. crafted such a great plot twist because I don't. I mean, I I can and figure stuff out, very but effective. I didn't see that yeah. coming. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't either. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Six cents. Haley Joel Osment's my number two, and we're up to our number ones. JD from Incession Film has got a sweet list going over there. Homework for Gerald, adding to the J Ledbetter <laughs> list I have on my computer, yeah. but that's fine. What do you got at number one, man? Okay, so my number one. This is a film that. I'm pretty confident you've seen. You've definitely mm-hmm. seen this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after going around the globe from Russia to France to Japan, we're back in the States. Uh, we're going to the world of Steven Spielberg once again. Mm-hmm. As much as I love AI and Ozman in that film, but I'm going with Henry Thomas, E.T. So Yeah, for sure, man. I have, like many others out there listening, watching this, have a nostalgia with that film. And if we were to do this list, let's say five years ago, I don't know if Henry, if Henry Thomas makes my top five, mm. but I did revisit this uh, just a few years ago for a review we had uh, on the podcast. And I was m- more blown away than I was anticipating with Henry Thomas and his performance. And I think it also circles back to appropriately so off the heels of 2022 and the fablemans you know what's fascinating to me about spielberg and and that narrative is that the story of the fablemans isn't anything new mm-hmm. like we he's he's done this in his movies and and not just with et but uh close encounters of the Third Kind, which is my f- personal favorite Spielberg, that film oh, wow. okay. is uh, engulfed with his childhood and the struggles that we see in the Fablemans. It's all over that movie, but it's also all over E.T. E.T. in many respects is an allegory on divorce. <laughs> and it's, it's fascinating having that conversation a few years ago and then 
repurposing it in the Fablemans this last sure. year mm-hmm. is fascinating. But I do think it's a big part of that movie and Henry Thomas's performance. And it's something that when you watch it as a kid, you don't pick up on those things. Uh, because as we've been talking about, as we noted at the beginning of this with uh, Stand By Me or, or any of these child performances, you, you just, there's a lot of life to live. You don't have quite mm-hmm. the experiences. And uh, when in watching E.T., as a child, you know, you're so drawn to the story of the the children and the family and the camaraderie they have with E.T., but watching it as an adult now, it is fascinating to see the rhythms in which Spielberg was operating in terms of the film's allegory, because there is this repeating motif regarding the father of this family, how he's off in Mexico with his girlfriend. And then that becomes, uh, so there's this, this void in Elliot's life that he fills with, by bonding with this creature. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that was an accident on Spielberg's part. Uh, I think that was very purposeful. And then to Mm -hmm. see how that camaraderie comes about. And of course it's very playful at times. It's very funny. Um, and it it is so endearing in, in how all of that works. And then as the dramatic urgency of the film ramps up in the third act, the emotion of it starts to stir in these really incredible ways. And then you get to that final sequence of the film, which for my money is one of the best endings ever put to cinema. Sure. And, and so much of it is Henry Thomas. I mean, and not just the, um, the, the, the scene at the very end, but when they're trying to rescue him, trying to resuscitate, E.T., trying to get him out of this government facility. I mean, the Mm -hmm. eye work by Henry Thomas there is truly phenomenal. It is Mm -hmm. really incredible as if he, and famously they shot this film, you know, from beginning to end uh, as it was, as the story is. And so, and maybe that was a part of it that Henry Thomas was, he had already bonded with E.T. They've already had all of these fun experiences and now things are getting, like the stakes of the film have have heightened and and he is really believing what he is right. doing creatively. I don't know. Maybe that's right. just magic of Spielberg because man, he is there there isn't anyone better as far as getting great child performances than Spielberg. That's true. And and what he gets out of Henry Thomas is just truly, truly phenomenal. And and it took a second watch. It took for me to watch it as an adult and to see those intricate layers that that Spielberg was really operating on as fun as it, you know, being it's being this fun blockbuster that is going to make lots of money because it's a fun blockbuster. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, there's this incredible artistic nostalgia to it from Spielberg's point of view that I think makes Henry Thomas's performance all the more incredible to me uh, and yeah. all the more poignant with, with how it all crystallizes there there at the end, given the allegory and what E.T. truly represents for Elliot uh, is just really heartbreaking. So I love it. Henry Thomas, my number one. I love it, man. You know, one of the greatest, like one of the things I take the most pride in as a father is as like two or three years ago, we were redoing my son's room. He's nine now. He was probably like seven at the time. And I said, all right, dude, uh, you got this wall here over your bed. Like I, you could, we can put a movie poster. I'll frame it. We'll put it above your bed. And he picked E.T. Nice. Because we had, <laughs> we had seen it that year. Yeah. But 
you know, to my point, like it just lives on. Like it doesn't it does. matter. Like all the themes that are kind of built into that story from the eyes of a child, like will never get old. You know, they'll never outgrow kind of the the things that you know we see through Henry Thomas's eyes. I mean, Drew Barrymore is great in this. You know, introduced to the world. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of great child performances, but yeah, I mean. This is a classic. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. One of my favorite mm-hmm. movies to watch with the family. Sure. Uh, yeah. And Spielberg is the goat, man. I mean, he's, he is. you know, Go puts Spielberg. kids in movies, you know, I mean, anywhere from five years old to, you know, 15 years old or whatever. Uh, and he just, you know, he just elicits something from them that, uh, you know, he's one of those filmmakers that just, I, I don't think it's luck. I think it has a lot to do with who he chooses and his craft and how he directs. but. Well, and I, and I think it circles back to that overall ethos I was talking about earlier that we still clutch onto our childhood in some way. And I brought up Citizen Kane. The, the camera is his rosebud. And, and I think that is evident in every single one of his movies, but especially when he is working with children. And I, I think it's just because he's a child at heart. <laughs> like, yeah. and I think his childhood means so much to him, yeah, or better or worse, as we saw in the Fablemans, uh, that you know he loves to kind of linger in that time and to really wrestle with who he's become as a result of those experiences, and that's why he loves working with kids, you know, because it means so much to him personally, and mm-hmm. man, that comes through in ET. <laughs> in some I agree. Man. I agree. Yeah. Great pick. Great pick. I considered it for sure. It's I love that movie and I full I wholeheartedly agree with the pick. My number one is in a different direction, but it was when the world was introduced to Natalie Portman. Okay. 1994, the year I graduated high school and Leon the professional. Okay. She was 13 years old, I think. Let me go back and make sure I don't misquote myself here. Yeah, she was 13 years old at the time of production. And it's a story, it's like an action movie. Gary Oldman plays one of the fucking great all-time villains in this movie. Just so yeah. memorable, literally <laughs> so hamming good. up this yeah. camera. Oh, yeah. Such a badass in this. Uh-huh. But, you know, her performance in particular just takes this trajectory that's really fascinating because she's this kind of like shy, down-on-her-luck kid in the beginning, kind of in this broken home. and you know, the tragedy occurs with her family and her young brother, which was really the Mm -hmm. heartbreaker for her. So she directs all that grief kind of to revenge Mm -hmm. and wanting to get revenge. And she just so happens to live next door to this hitman who kills people for a living. And they develop this kind of unique friendship, kind of like mentor protege relationship. And it's, it's just really fascinating to see her, do that character kind of coming out of grief and turning into basically an assassin uh, by the end of the Mm -hmm. movie. And it's, it's a very like harrowing heartbreaking story from her character's perspective, because even with Leon, you get the sense that everybody she's close to, she, she's just not going to be able to have the, you know, the connection that she wants. Um, So it is a little hopeless in that way. It's a little ambiguous at the end, but you get, you mm-hmm. get the idea that she's not going to be a happy kid. Yeah. But just the badassery from Natalie Portman at age 13. And I graduated high school in 94 when this movie came out. I saw it yeah. shortly thereafter. 
So it was really impressionable on me at the time. And I can just remember thinking, this is so awesome that they got this young girl to just be this badass, like revenge hit woman in this Mm -hmm. movie. And it was really, it was, it really stuck with me. It's one of my favorite movies. And I think Natalie Portman is one of the best actresses alive, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Black Swan is probably her best or or at least my favorite performance of hers. But I mean, she's, she's killer, man. She just does so much. She's such a great, great actress. And I think it kind of started here with the professional. So that's my number one. What do you think, JD? Yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong with Natalie Portman trying to think here off the cuff. Jackie is probably my favorite performance of hers. Mm -hmm. However, as it relates to Leon, the professional, I think it can be summed up in this way. When you look up the film on Letterboxd, one of the top comments simply says, quote, I wonder if Natalie Portman ever thinks about how bad ass it was that she outacted everyone around her at age 13 <laughs> and quote, <laughs> yeah. that sums it up. <laughs> I thought that too. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, Gary Oldman maybe, but I mean, yeah, she was doing her thing and you just can't forget it. You know, she was just, it was so yeah. such great casting, like great and yeah. i'm so happy for it because of what we have now in her career which of course every role leads to the next role so mm-hmm. i i think a lot of it probably started with the professional here mm-hmm. in the early 90s and now we have queen natalie portman doing her thing so absolutely that's my number one that's my number one uh child performance 13 years old at the time of production jd we're gonna take a break man when we come back we're gonna give our honorable mentions i'm forcing you to give five only <laughs> It's we're already so at an hour, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We got the Golden Peas Movie Awards coming up. JD, actually, my boy here, and Nicole Ackman gave the nominees. Yeah. That was and great. The nominations fun. announcement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it, man. Thanks so much for doing it. It's over mm-hmm. on YouTube if you guys want to check it out. But the Movie Awards are coming up on March 13th, so make sure you vote. And we're going to run a promo for that. And when we come back, like I said, we'll give our honorable mentions, and we will also shout out the fans online. So everybody sit tight. Me and JD will be right back. Hi there. This is Imran from the Jock and Nerd podcast. And every year, Gerald from Two Peas puts on his own personal movie awards, affectionately called the Golden Peas, the best name ever, honoring the previous year in film. This year will be the first as a YouTube broadcast, and we'll have guest presenters giving out awards in seven movie categories, including Best Movie, Best Female Performance, and Best Horror Movie, just to name a few. And the best part about all of this is that the winners are voted on and chosen by you. These awards are 100% based on your participation and votes. Please help me share and promote it leading up to the event. And don't forget to cast your ballot this year. Head on over to 2PeasOnAPod.com slash Golden Peas to see the list of nominees and cast your votes. Then tune in on Monday, March 13th, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time to see the winners revealed live on YouTube. We will have some amazing special guests, and Gerald will be joined by co-host, the god of podcasting himself, Brian Loisos. We hope you join us this year to once again celebrate our shared love of the movie. What's up, guys? Welcome back. As I said, pre-break, me and my buddy JD from In Session Film are here, and we are discussing our top five child movie performances. Anybody that blew us away under the age of 16 when they acted in these films. 
And we had a great discussion there. JD, will you remind everyone real quick, just go through your top five again, just list them five yeah. to one, just to remind everybody. Sure. At number five was River Phoenix and Stand By Me. At number four, Nikolay Burilev from Ivan's Childhood. At number three, Jean-Pierre Liaud from The 400 Blows. And number two, Ayano Shirashi from Grave of the Fireflies. And then number one, Henry Thomas and E.T. Great list, man. My top five was, number five was Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone, from the Home Alone films. Number four was Chloe Grace Moretz from Let Me In. My number three was River Phoenix from Stand By Me. Number two was Haley Joel Osment from The Sixth Sense. And my number one was Miss Natalie Portman from Leon the Professional mm, from 1994. Yeah. So there we go. A nice, well-rounded list. Only one crossover, which is always cool. Now, what we're going to do now is we're going to give our honorable mentions, guys. So these are just a few that did not quite crack our top five, but we wanted to make sure we mention. Uh, JD is in pain because I told him he could only I do know. five. <laughs> <laughs> it's so... I know. I literally have 30 listed here. <laughs> oh, God. You got to send apology emails to all these people yeah. you're about to leave off. So go ahead. What, what were your honorable mentions over there, buddy? Okay. So you noted that one of, one of the times when Jay was on here, he mentioned Charlie Chaplin and gave you some homework mm -hmm. to do. I don't know if he talked about this film, but one of my honorable mentions might be my 5B, if I'm being honest, is Jackie Coogan in Chaplin's The Kid. Oh, mm. my God. What a great film that is. Sabir Banerjee, again, forgive me if I'm butchering that name, from Sajajit Ray's Pather Panchali is an honorable mention for me. Okay. I noted earlier Haley Joel Osment and Spielberg's AI, Artificial Intelligence. Mm -hmm. I have Quavanjane Wallace from Beasts of the Southern Wild Good on one. here. And then my last honorable mention is Ivana Becquero from Guillermo, Guillermo de Toro's Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, good it's, one, it's actually. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't think yeah. about that one. That's a good one. All right, my number six would have been Linda Blair from The Exorcist. Yeah, that's great. That's a great uh, one. Yeah. Literally iconic. And, you know, to hear what she went through in that production after the fact, I mean, it's sad, but very, yeah. still a very memorable and iconic performance that mm -hmm. is unforgettable. My number seven would have been an actress that I really just like rally around her entire career. So I might be a little biased, but she was 12 years old. It was a uh, Kirsten Dunst, an interview with the vampire. Oh yeah. I love that pick. That's good. Yeah. That's a good one. I mean, if you could steal a scene when you're sharing camera space with Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise, you're doing something right. I mean, you know, crazy that she got to work with those two in the same movie and it's <laughs> know, interview right? with a vampire. <laughs> crazy. I mean, it's wild. Wild. Love it. Yeah. One of my favorite, um, kind of like tender kind of quirky, comedy yeah. ones is abigail breslin from little miss sunshine yeah, number okay. eight yeah love that uh, kind of a dark horse pick and also the oldest actor in my top 10 is millicent simmons from a quiet oh, place yes my number Good nine call yeah and that. then and then rounding out my top 10 would have been another actress that i've just championed her entire career very similar to when i mentioned chloe moretz at the top but it's a uh, dakota fanning from i am sam okay yeah she was seven years old, and I feel like she Good held stuff. her own against Sean Penn, Michelle Pfeiffer. Like she just, mm -hmm. it was a very tender, tender movie where she she was very she was a standout in that film at yeah, age seven for sure, for sure. And she's yeah. gone on to be a superstar. So there you Good go, stuff. guys. Those are those are our ten. Uh, I'm sorry, JD, but only ten <laughs> child performances. What, once this goes live, I'm just gonna tweet out my thirty. <laughs> here's my other. Yeah, here's the yeah. rest of my list that Gerald wouldn't yeah. let me say. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, what we like to do to end every episode, JD, is we go over to Facebook and we open up the old suggestion box and we see what the fans <laughs> had to say. Okay. We'll see if they mentioned any that we failed to mention, but we'll go over there. I just said, what are some of the best child acting movie performances under 16 years old? All right. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Lindsay Dunn, friend of mine and friend of the show, says Anna Paquin from The Piano. Yeah, I, that's on my list. That's one I'm I have I'm surprised we didn't. Didn't she win an Oscar for that? I feel like she did, right? She, or was I, nominated. I can, she was at least nominated. I don't know if she, I can't remember if she won. But yeah. Yeah. And then she also has Kirsten Dunst from Interview and then Noah Jupe from Honey Boy, which I like that, oh, okay. that shout yeah, out. That's a good yeah, one. The young, yeah. the young version of Shia LaBeouf in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let's see. Joey Austin, patron and friend of the show, says Macaulay Culkin and Uncle Buck, he says. Okay. Yeah, that's good. He was he was good in that. Yeah. Uh, Anna Chlumsky and My Girl. Oh. Uh, Tatum Tatum O'Neill in Paper Moon. The the My Girl pick. I'm mm-hmm. mad at myself. I didn't think of that one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would have cracked my five anyway, but my God, what a performance! <laughs> that at least that's that's a subjective childhood favorite of mine for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's a it's a heartbreaker though. Oh Tear yeah, jerker, big for time, sure. big time. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Pete from Podstalgic and Cobra Kai says The Sixth Sense. Uh, Haley Joel Osment. Mm-hmm. He also says Kirsten Dunst from Interview with the Vampire. Okay. Uh, My yeah. Girl, he also mentioned. And mm-hmm. he says basically all the kids from It from 2017. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Jared Taylor, patron and friend of the show, says River Phoenix from Stand By Me. Linda Blair from The Exorcist. Henry Thomas from E.T. Haley Joel Osment from The Sixth Sense. And mm-hmm. Leon the Professionals, Natalie Portman. So he has my list with the ETs. That's pretty good. <laughs> it sounds like it, yeah. I did good yeah. there, yeah. yeah. All right, how about this? Tony Dobbish, patron of the show. He says Jody Foster and Taxi Driver. What do you think about that? Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good one. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, Tom Holland in Impossible. The, the Impossible. I got that on my list as well. Uh, maybe we'll just hit the rest of them. Hopefully the comments. <laughs> I was just say maybe we're just naming the rest of yours. <laughs> uh, Saoirse Ronan in Atonement. Yes. Yes. Um, that's a good one. That's yeah. probably and my number 11. And then he says Brooklyn Prince from the Florida Project. Yes. Also on my list. So good job. There everybody. you go. <laughs> hey, we are doing good here. Let's see yeah. if there's any we haven't mentioned as we wrap up here. Uh, I got to mention my de- uh, my buddy Dan that we talked about earlier from Netflix. It's well, he's a producer mm-hmm. here and he's a patron of the show. He says mm-hmm. Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. Mm-hmm. Abigail Breslin and Little Miss Sunshine and Jacob Tremblay in the room. Yeah, in the room. Yeah. Or room. Well, yeah, just room. Yes. Yeah, not the room. Sorry. <laughs> you got to make that distinction. Yes. <laughs> Apologies. I don't think he was in the room. I apologize. No. <laughs> um, if so, it probably wouldn't have been on the list. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan Roski, top tier patron of the show, a, a promising young loyal. He says Mara Wilson and Matilda. Okay. Got, yeah. I like that. Uh, I like these next two, though. One of them is prominent in current our current climate right now in award season, but he says Kihi Kwan in Temple of Doom. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's great, man. Yeah, Look what that guy's going on fun. to do. Just, I know. Yeah, on his way man. to an Oscar. Yeah, I agree. He says Heather O'Rourke and Poltergeist. Okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't Peter Ostrom and yeah, I didn't either. Peter, Ostr- Peter Ostrom and Willy Wonka and Danny Lloyd in The Shining. Oh, there you go. yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Let's see. Michael Hill, friend of mine and patron of the show, says he's got a couple that we already mentioned, but he says also Freddie Highmore and August Rush. Oh, that's see, that's another personal favorite of mine. I know that film wasn't received well critically, but I don't know. I, I kind of dig it. I really like it. And, and a lot yeah, of it is that movie. central performance. Yeah. He also has uh, Kristen Stewart in Panic Room. 
Okay. I yeah. don't know how yeah. I don't know how old she was when she filmed that, but I freaking I, sure love either. her. So I'm with you yeah. on that, Michael. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good pick. I, I like it too. <laughs> and then his last uh, mention is Hayden Pantier from Remember the Titans. Uh, let's see. Brett Parker, okay. uh, patron of the show, friend of mine from Dissect That Film. He says Christina Ricci from the Adams Family movies. Okay. All yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, Madeline McGraw from the Black Phone. Did you like the Black uh, Phone this past year? That's that was a blind spot. That was one I sadly oh, did not okay. catch up with. All right. He's got Jacob Tremblay as well, but it's from Doctor Sleep. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then he and then he also says the cast of It Chapter One. Mm, yeah. Uh, I got a couple more here. So Lauren Scott, friend of mine, uh, says Brandon Baker and Johnny Tsunami. And then she says, I said what I said. <laughs> so sticking to Love her it. guns there. Yeah. Love it. And so we, I don't know if I woke up today knowing that I was going to be on the show, that Johnny Tsunami was going to be mentioned in any way, shape, or form. So I, I love, love Lauren so much, and she's the best. So that's, that's yeah, a good that's shout-out there. And then we will end on our buddy Drew Hallam. He's actually watching over on YouTube right now. Drew says, Lonnie Chavis and Ezra Dewey from The Boy Behind the Door. That was a Shudder original horror movie. Did you see that one, J.D.? No, that's uh, one I unfortunately didn't get a chance to see either. It's a really good, really tense like home invasion film, so I recommend okay. you check it out. Okay. Uh, he also has Roman Griffin Davis from Jojo Rabbit. That's a good oh, one. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, Macaulay Culkin from The Good Son, he says. Mm, okay. That was the horror film with Elijah mm. Wood, I, th I think. Yeah. Uh, Lin Linda Blair from The Exorcist, the, ca the entire cast of Stand By Me. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted to ask your opinion, uh, being the in-session film guy, but he, uh, he also mentioned Tatum O'Neill from Paper Moon, and I saw that mm. on a ton of lists on Google when I was searching. Yeah. But I've never seen that movie. So what do you, are you familiar with Tatum O'Neill and Paper Moon? She uh, acted opposite her father in that, right? Yeah, so a gr very good performance and it, it's 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 on my list as an honorable mention, but I'll be perfectly honest, I I just haven't seen the film in so long that I didn't feel confident talking about it mm -hmm. per se mm -hmm. or how it would crack my top 10. I I would just need to revisit the film. I I've seen it some years ago mm -hmm. and i and i really love the performance it, it is a great at the very least a great honorable mention but i think yeah. what i realized when i was doing my research is that's kind of a consensus child mm -hmm. performance pick yeah. but i just haven't mm -hmm. i haven't seen it so there was no way i could like you Definitely said worth no watching could, absolutely yeah, yeah. i'll have to check it out for sure all right jenny this was a lot of fun man I, yeah I, you know i love just like when i listen to your show in session i love just hearing the passion mm -hmm. and the love that you have for movies and, and acting and it just comes through, man. And, you know, you're an inspiration, you and Brendan. And I mean, JD and Ryan, or I should say Jay and Ryan, they're okay. Like, <laughs> they're, they're okay. fine. If they do, okay. yeah, they're yeah, all they're right. right. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? But <laughs> no, yeah. all of you guys are great. But um, thanks so much for being here yeah, again. And just remind it. everyone, real quick, where they can find you and the guys over at In Session. I know it's kind of changing as we speak, but where should they go to find you guys? Yep. So the easiest place to find us is insessionfilm.com. There we have links to all the, the, everywhere you can find us, you know, and obviously, as I mentioned earlier, you can now watch the podcast on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash insessionfilm. Uh, but you can find us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, you know, anywhere you can listen to podcasts as well. And if you're interested in written reviews and written content, we have a team of writers that uh, writes for us as well that put up 
all kinds of great reviews and analysis, award stuff, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, and again, you can find all of that at InSessionFilm.com. And yeah, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I, I had a blast doing this. Absolutely, man. Me too. And I really appreciate you being mm-hmm. here. Guys, yeah. all of JD's information will be down below in the show notes. Make sure you check that and give him a follow over there and, and subscribe to his YouTube as well so you can check out all the content they're going to be putting out there with the new format yeah. of In Session Film, which is great. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to, to being a part of that. As, uh, you got to get yeah. me over there, man. We oh, got yeah. we to no, do something soon. Once we kind of get a handle on how this is going to work for us, <laughs> we're definitely going to get some guests on. So you'll be one Absolutely. of our first calls for sure. Absolutely, man. And once again, thanks so much for being here. Mm-hmm. Guys, yeah, we sure. will be back next week. We'll have another top five for you and another guest. Until then, everybody take care.